Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting It. I'm super excited today that I have Dr. John DeGormo um, on the podcast. Dr. John, I mean, I could probably spend an entire hour just on information. Um, masters, uh, we can start back. See, Dr. John, you were born in 1969, so you're a year older than I am. I just like to point that out. <laughs> 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 but back in that day, you were with Up With People, and I remember Up With People. Um, I was in music also. That was a big deal to serve. You were also a DJ at four radio stations on two continents, and you worked in professional wrestling, and I think I'd also like to do a podcast just on your professional wrestling career. <laughs> uh, but then you decided to teach English and drama at high school. You've worked in media. Uh, you are the director of the Foster Care Institute founder of Never Too Late, which is a residential group home for boys in foster care. Uh, and you started out with the BA in history, master's in media and technology, master's in educational leadership, and then your doctorate in educational leadership. And now your wife is from Australia, correct? That's right. That's and right. she also has her doctorate. What is her doctorate in? She's a doctor of naturopathic medicines. Excellent. Going to interview her next. Um, <laughs> and so... Now, I remember hearing a blurb, um, and you just got back from Greece. Wait, let me back up. You just got back from Greece from an international group. Uh, I was uh, speaking at an international conference for adoption and foster care, and they had people from all over the globe there, and uh, one representative from each country, and I was blessed to be the only American uh, representative there, so yeah, quite an honor. Quite an honor. Um, and then, so public speaking is that you do a lot of public speaking. Now, you guys have three biological children and three adopted children. Is that still correct? That's right, yes. And then you've done foster care for how many years now? Oh, 15 years now. We also have two homeless youth in our house right now, too. You know, you make me sound busy. It's, <laughs> it's not. You know, uh, well, I have 13 children, and uh, at the most, 12 lived in the house at the same time, and people, I'm sure you get the same sort of attitudes that we get like I it must be so loud in your house and it's really not loud in our house and it's not busy it's very orchestrated it's orchestrated chaos I guess <laughs> a, a little bit um, now you focus a lot on sex trafficking cyber bullying online dangers on top of some of the horrific abuse that these kids go through so but I want to back it up just a little bit you you met your wife at Up With People, correct? That's right. Yeah, actually, um, that was uh, 27 years ago. We were actually going to Iceland and Sweden this summer for uh, a reunion. And we will be seeing her ex-boyfriend from Germany and uh, the young girl I was enamored with from Sweden. So we're going to have a great time. Okay, so I did remember this correctly. You guys went to Up With People and you were, kind of, you were dating other people. And you, I mean, it's a huge singing group and it's like camp, summer camp. You get very, very close, very, very quickly. Feel right. like you've known these people forever. So she was one of those people. And did I, 
tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. You guys spoke a common language. Yeah, we spoke English. That's right. <laughs> well, I actually, when we began the year, I actually uh, told her maybe two months into the program, the year of travel, that I had a crush on her, and she just ignored me for a very long time after that. She wanted nothing to do with uh, with me. Um, and then we became fast friends, but, you know, she had her German, I had my Swede, and then at some point we realized later on that English is a common denominator here. Let's, let's work with that. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So... Take me on that journey with your wife, because you have 27 years now since you met, which is an outstanding accomplishment in and of itself, just standing alone. Um, so you guys both went to college. You have several degrees. Take me on that journey a little bit together with her. Oh, you know, um, it was a journey. We got married and moved to Australia, lived on a tropical island in the Barrier Reef for quite some time. Our first child died of a disease called anencephaly, or some pronounce anencephaly while we were there. It's a condition where the brain never forms. Um, flew back to America years later uh, with a three-week-old baby. Um, our second child uh, flew into Atlanta, Georgia, and didn't know anybody, didn't have a job, didn't have a car, didn't have a house, just completely on her own, um, where I was chasing my career at the time in professional wrestling. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another. We became foster parents. We both pursued our doctorate degree. We've had 50 plus kids come live in our home. Uh, and it has been, you know, I couldn't do any of it without her. Um, and there are challenges. Sure, there's challenges. When you have children in your house with lots of traumas and anxieties and facing abuses, that's stressful in a marriage. And then when you have a marriage where one person, doesn't matter where you live, one person is always going to be on the other side of the world from their family from their from their lifelong friends so you know there's a stress of international marriage as well it's not like we can hop in the car and go from georgia to tennessee to see one's relatives the other relatives no that doesn't that doesn't work so there's a there's a an extra um stress if you on the marriage um but again i couldn't do any without her and uh it's been a great journey and it, it's never boring <laughs> no, it's never boring. That's for sure. Kids, no matter what, are never boring. And I mean, you, you, you did touch on, you did talk about you had the loss of your first child. So anyone who has remotely experienced even a later term miscarriage or that is devastating. So to get past that and you're young, you know, it's your first experience and it's, it's tragic. Um, then to even move forward and have children at, at what point in there did you guys decide to open your house for foster care? Well, you know, let's, let's take a step back there. After the, after the loss of her first child, uh, our grief was very, very different from each other. She, she grieved in a healthy fashion. I didn't, I did not grieve in a healthy fashion. I was angry. I was bitter. I put a lot of things. I, I, I was against a lot of things. Um, I was so angry that at the, the, at the birth of our second child years later, I did not even want to have her baptized. I did not want to step into a church. I was just full of denial and anger. So years later, when we did move to the States and we had three children, healthy children at that time, I was teaching in a rural, very rural high school that was full of a lot of poverty. And I kept finding a, a common theme for many of my students, low grades, poor attendance, poor behavior. And I kept asking myself, why? What is going on? And I, I met a lot of their birth parents. I thought, okay, this is why. It starts in the home. 
So that led to the discussion of my wife of, you know, we, we lost our first child. How can we help other kids? How, we, when we travel with an, up with people, it was a year long, uh, it was a year of service, service others. And we really took that into our life. How can we serve these kids who need so much help? So that's where that led to. And then, of course, three adoptions. And, uh, you know, it's just snowballed from there, really. And you have had children in your home like I have. I mean, I know we have some parallels in our story um, that you thought you were going to adopt and then did not. And that that's I mean, I'm a woman who's been through the loss of a child, a miscarriage late in term. And that devastation and having a child in your home, sometimes for years and assuming that's your child forever, you're the mom, you're the dad, right? And losing that child is worse mm -hmm. in some ways than losing a child, miscarrying a child that you thought you were going to have. It's devastating in its own unique, special, angry, grieving way. So, well, tell me about that, too. It is, it's, it's, uh, we call them four failed adoptions. We had adoptions, four adoptions. We thought they, we, they would become forever children, and they did not, for whatever reason it may be. And each one was dramatic. Each one was full of grief. Uh, the last one I came home, uh, maybe two weeks later after, after the adoption fell through, and the child was removed and went to live with a birth family member. And um, came home two weeks later, my wife was in the bathroom floor. Uh, on all fours, tears just streaming out of her face, saying, I just can't do this anymore. But you know, that's how it is a lot with, with as a foster parent in general. Uh, people always say to me, Dr. John, I can't do what you do. It hurt too much to get the kids back. And, and that's the truth. It, every child that comes to my house, whether I want to adopt them or not, I give them what they need the most. And that is for me to love them with all that I have, because I might be the only, only adult in their life as a foster parent who has ever given them positive, healthy love. That's what they need. So um, when they leave, man, it just like my heart ripped out. And um, I, yeah, foster parents' hearts like a lot like a quilt, just patches all over the heart. Uh, but, you know, we continue to do it because there's kids out there today, right now, who are in need of someone to say, I will love you. I totally agree. And I like the patchwork. That's true. And people have said the same, like, how do you do it? <clears throat> And I'm a runner, so I'm going to give a running analogy because one time I was on a run with a guy that was like uh, my would have been my father's age. And I said, running so hard. And he said, no, it's not. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. You've done it since you were a year old. There's nothing actually innately hard about running. If you think about it in the basic, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And it's just a matter of how much exertion you're putting into that, how much speed, how much is behind it. And with kids, it's kind of like that starfish poem. It's you're yeah. making the difference to that one. Okay. Right. You're, right. It's one step at a time. Right. The steps are not painful, but the amount of exertion and time and effort you put into it is what creates that. And at the end, every single time it's worth it. Yeah. Every single time. Um, and just today I had someone, I went running and I had someone ask me about it and I said, stop asking and stop questioning, start taking the classes. Cause it can take you a year, six months to get through the classes and the home study. So my recommendation to anyone who's quote thinking about, I've always thought about doing it. Stop thinking about it and show some action. Put one step in front of the other um, because it takes time to get yourself licensed in there. And you don't say yes every time you get a phone call. Right. right. I did not say yes every time. I knew, uh, you know, there, like you said, there's a huge volume of children, huge, 
you can't imagine how big the volume of children is that need that. And, and as social workers, they're trying to get these kids into homes and get a good fit. And sometimes you're the, you are the expert of your own home. And sometimes, you know, it's not the right fit and you have to say no. And that doesn't become hard because you can't do that at the expense of everything else. That's just not the right fit. Right. Right. You know, you and I are not the best parent for every single child. No. We each have drinks. So when the phone call comes to take a child in my house, I had to determine pretty quickly, is my house the best environment for this child? Do I have the resources that I can necessary to provide this child? Do I have everything the child needs? And sometimes that answer is no. And it may not be a good fit for my own children, whatever it may be. So sure, you've got to look at that. And it's okay, as you said, you said it right. It's okay to say no sometimes because there will be another child the next day. Oh, there, there are. And you're not, re- you have to get past the fact that you're not rejecting a child. You're rejecting a situation that's not healthy for a million and one different reasons. And that that's okay. Yes. So I totally agree with, I mean, we, I joke with my kids. They just need, you just need a home and some love. That's all you need. And so now stray dogs and lizards and turtles, but mom, it just needs a home and some love. No, no, it does not. (laughs) The lizard doesn't, but really, truly these kids just really need a home and some love. Bottom line. Security, stability, and unconditional love goes a long ways to healing. So you touched on earlier um, you know, you're traveling everywhere and it's an honor, a privilege. Um, that's how I found you in the foster care kind of network. Um, and you've taken what other people have done or you've taken how I feel and what I've done and put it on steroids and, and put it out out to the world, which is fantastic. That's what we need. But how, how do you balance it? You have like 11 kids in your house right now. Uh, down the nine. Um, oh, down to nine. Is yeah, that all? That's all. <laughs> you know, it's a great, people ask me all the time, how do you do it? Uh, well, I, I'm on the 32 hour day. I, I managed to, I found that secret and I will sleep when I die. So there you go. Uh, you know, it's, it's a partnership with my wife. Um, you know, uh, we're equal. We're 50, 50 in all that we parenting skills. So, you know, if she can't do something, I'll pick it up. And it's just a lot of dependence upon her and her depending upon me. And we work together. Um, uh, but, you know, when I go away for, I was in Greece for five days. And I'll be going to, I think I'm going to Mississippi next in, in, uh, for a couple of days. When I come home, uh, it's time for her to take off and have, some, have a break time. And I pick up right where she left off. It's hard, though. Sure. It's, 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 uh, it's exhausting at times. And sometimes I need to step back and say, you know what, I need some alone time. I need some me time. We need to just uh, circle our wagon, so to speak. Um, trying to find that, that right balance of, of, um, of giving yourself to the children and allowing some time for your, yourself as well and for your spouse as well. That can be a tightrope, sure. Yeah, I think uh, that balance is a tightrope. I know for us, there are times we get in the car and just go to the grocery store alone together. And I'm like, do you want to stop in a parking lot and make out? Just because it's, I'm like, this is it. This is the only chance we've got. And so, you know, sometimes you make out in the parking lot and that's okay. (laughs) But you have to, you really have to, I think you learn how to, it's not as much balance as capitalizing your efforts and your rewards and your priorities. And I mean, sometimes it can be five minute cup of coffee and, and other times it's an actual date. And so you never know. 
what's coming at you. So have there been, now you guys had your three kids. Yes. How old are all the kids? Well, we've been doing it for 15 years. My oldest is 20. Uh, biological child is 20. So you can pretty much see right there that that's my children's norm. That's, that's their lifestyle they've always known. Uh, my, my birth children are 20, 18, 17. My ones I've adopted are 10, 7, and 4. Um, my homeless youth at the moment are both 17 and 18. But, you know, I, I say that to differentiate the, the children, but I also want to stress this, that in my house there's no label. They're all my children. Exactly. No homeless, adopted, biological. They're my children, my family. So, um, but yeah, my, for my own ones that are labeled DeGarmo from biological genes, uh, it's their norm. It's, it's, it's what they've known. So 20 to four. Yes. Right now, right now. We, we recently had seven in diapers uh, about a, a while back. <laughs> you win that one, and I'm going to let you landslide. Um, uh, <laughs> That was just tough getting going going in the morning. I mean, can you imagine both, both going to work in the morning? You got seven kids to to put in diapers. Forget about the, forget about the rest of the kids. That's just seven kids in diapers. And I was I did not always make it to work clean. <laughs> yeah, no, you kind of give up. It's it isn't even that you lower your standards. You just have to alter them. Right, right. Yeah, it's a little poo in my shirt. It's all right. It's just it's like lotion. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. You know. What what have been so your kids the kids have all I mean all your kids from four to twenty this is their norm so we do the same thing there isn't a label and um, people ask me which ones are yours and I'm like well I thought all of them were but I'll have to ask them. I mean I, did they go on strike was there a mutiny I'm not sure um, and that's always super frustrating because we don't differentiate the kids either but it's been their norm and we I, I stopped doing foster care seven ish years ago. And they were actually mad that they're trying to pick up stray children at school now, which, and there are a lot of them in high school, evidently. So that's not even that difficult. So they haven't known any different and they've come from a big family. As they've gotten older, what are their thoughts on their own family? And I know with kids that changes, you want to be a fireman or a princess and then, or a brain surgeon, you know, but what are their thoughts, those older kids, especially? Well, my oldest just returned from spending a year in Australia where she worked abroad. That's where she was born, actually. Um, so she, she spent a full year uh, at the other side of the world. And, you know, we had no, besides Skype, there was, you know, when she had her tonsils out, we couldn't go there. Her wallet was stolen, couldn't help her. So it was a growth experience for her. My, uh, my uh, 18-year-old daughter is right now in Europe for a month and a half um, with a friend just doing the trip, doing the tour, going from country to country. Um, so the, my children know a life of, of travel and adventure, and they know that, um, they know that there's no boundaries. There's no, there's, there's, there's endless possibilities. Let me rephrase that. There are endless possibilities and no, um, the word no should not stop you. You know, you can, you can keep going. And if you, if you believe in doing it, you can find a way. That's how we do it with 11 kids in the house. You know, many people say, I can't do it. Well, you just make priorities. You make the life choices. So we try to teach our children that think outside the box, everything's possible. As far as um, their future, we just hope that they lead a life of service, that, they, that they've learned the importance of serving other people, of putting other people before them. Will any of them become a foster parent? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but I'm hoping that they, in some way, 
find that uh, it is important to put other people first and to serve others. Right, and that's perfect. I think as a parent, you know, there's no license or real manual for parenting in general. I have to get one to go fishing, but I, anybody can have a parent, I'd be a parent. And when you're a parent who's really trying to do a great job, you just, I just wanted my kids to leave with have, having learned certain things and certain values and then knowing they're going to make mistakes and hoping for the best and that they'll figure out how they want to take all that information, all those lessons and re gear them for themselves. So I know some of my kids, cause our gap is seven is the youngest and 25 is the oldest. So similar, similar to your setup. And there's 13 in that age range. And I just wanted them I want them to know how to cook. I want them to know how to clean. I want them to know how to be nice to people. I want them to know about God. I, you know, you just have these certain core values you want your kids to know. And I think some of them, um, because they came from a really big family where we had foster kids coming in and out all the time, they don't want big families. They want to scale it back. But most of them do talk at least about some sort of foster care or service to others. So that was, I was kind of assuming you went the same direction. So tell me what the, it can be in marriage, in your life, in foster care. What has been the biggest struggle? Oh, you know, before I was a foster parent, the biggest struggle was the whole American Australian marriage thing. Um, because wherever you lived, you're going to have in-laws who are going to be upset with you and, and um, disappointed. Um, and then when you have when you have children and uh, you're the both my wife and I are the only child who has grand who had children, so we're the only grandchildren on both sides. If that makes sense, my kids are the only grandchildren on both sides. So that's a struggle there. Uh, but becoming a foster parent, the biggest thing for me is when that child leaves, the grief that I feel when the child leaves. Um, I have there have been some some real tragic stories that have come through our home some of the children who have suffered such horrific uh, tragedies. And the system, the foster care system has failed some of those children and it drives me every single day. So, you know, there are nights where I, I, my nights are filled with nightmares um, because of some of the children, what they've gone through or what they're going through now. Um, so I guess the hardest thing for me now is what happens with children when they leave my home? What's their future gonna be like? You know, sometimes they go back to an environment that's gonna be very, very harmful for them. Um, and that's, I struggle with that. How do, I, how do I continue to help these kids when I know they're in a bad situation? Um, it, it's hard, it's hard. But when they come to my house, they're always my family members, so I'm always gonna love them. People often ask me, how many kids do you stay in contact with? And I tell them that, sadly, not very, very many, because when they, many times when they go back home, their birth parents want nothing to do with my wife and I because we might represent the bad guy to them. They, we might represent a part of their life they no longer want to remember, acknowledge, accept. So they just shut us off completely. And we know that they're in a bad situation if there's nothing we can do about it. So that, that's difficult too. Um, I thought probably the, the heart being ripped out, the, the child leaving your home, it's like losing another child. It's like losing another child. And that hurts. And then you keep doing it. Yes, you keep doing it because there's another child out there. My wife has said for probably the last seven or eight years, when a child leaves, I'm never doing this again. And she does say it because it's the hardest thing we do. 
And it is, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but it's the most rewarding thing. But she says it because of the grief, of the grief she feels, or we both feel when the child leaves our home. Right. And I mean, I ended foster care at some point and that was, it was that last situation that was so devastating that I just knew I needed to focus on who I had in my home and not everyone else's kids even. And that, man, that's a hard decision too. So that conversation that you have every time of, I can't do this again. At some point you decide to shift gears and just do something different. And I didn't feel bad at all about, well, I'm going to, I mean, I don't know when you do foster care, it's very hard to count your children because they're all your children. And I, you've had over 50 kids come through your home. That's right. And I don't know how many, I didn't count them that way, but I know that kids that have been in my home for three and a half years or longer, there are 18 of them and 13 of them are permanent. And if you jump to seven years, I only lose one. There's 17. Then you know, it's that whole one step at a time. You're making a difference to that one. And I don't, if people out there don't understand it, I don't, I would love to hear your analogy. Cause I think about how, if you go to Starbucks to get a coffee and they mess it up, they mess up your order. It's super easy to say, you really made a mess of this. I don't know if you're having a bad day. It's really easy for us to get upset about it, but very rarely if that person on the intercom in the drive-thru is just awesome, it's very rare that we in our society right now drive up and go, dude, you made my day. Whatever you're drinking today, I want to keep up the attitude. You totally rocked my world in the drive-thru this morning. High five me. We don't do that. And doing either one of those makes an enormous difference in the life of someone else without us knowing it. And if you take that again, I'm going to use the steroid analogy, what you're doing in the life of a child, almost in passing sometimes, six months in their lives, you know, it's, it's not that much time. You have no idea the impact you can make. You're planting a seed. And I often tell my foster parents that I train across the, across the globe that you, uh, years from now, years from now, the children who have come to stay in my house, they may not remember my name and they may not remember my face, but they will remember that for a time in their life, and maybe it was the only time in their life, somebody loved them. And that, that is magical. That, that's life changing. And that's why you do it again. That's why I do it again. So what are other day-to-day struggles? Do you have, now you've done adoptions and you've had kids longer periods of time. So what are some struggles with their emotions on uh, being adopted or going home? I mean, there's a lot of scenarios here. So maybe they go home and it's healthy, which honestly, everyone is what you want. Yes. If the biological parents get their act together and become good parents, you want those kids to go back there. You are excited that they're going back there. You are supportive of them going back there. That is the goal. Reunification. Reunification, 100%. And you, you got to think of foster care as you're, you're the intermittent service for reunification in the event that that doesn't happen, which is often, unfortunately. They're either reunifying where you know it's not good. But then what about the adoptions? Because I, I have kids that were adopted at birth that are now becoming adults. 
So tell me the emotions that these kids go through and how you navigate that. Well, our oldest one that we adopted is 10 and uh, she goes to school and she sees her biological siblings who are still with their biological mother. Uh, and she sees them in um, a very different lifestyle, if you will. Uh, probably not a positive lifestyle. So I think she struggles with that. She struggles with the whole issue of here we are in the very, very deep rural South um, where she is considered a African-American, if you will. Um, and I say that because I don't believe in labels. I tell people she's an Australian-American. They look at me. I say, yeah. <laughs> people often ask me about my, my three youngest kids, if they're mixed. I say, no, they're fully human. They're not, they're not part giraffe, you know. Again, no labels, no black or, there's no black or white in our house. We're all the same color, just different shades of God's skin in our house. Um, so she's struggling with, with seeing her own biological siblings. She sees, she sees her biological mother often in this very small town we live in, and uh, she doesn't enjoy it. Um, my other two, uh, they, are, they haven't really faced that yet. No, they have their own challenges. You know, we have fetal alcohol syndrome in our house. We have you know, all, th all three of the ones we adopted were born addicted to some type of drug, meth, crack, cocaine, alcohol, a combination of all of them. So they, there's lots of um, birth-related issues that we face in our house um, that our biological children do not have. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a struggle as well, but it's part of the journey, part of the adventure. Yeah, and it is an adventure. And I know of the 13 kids of mine, the personality that was the most difficult for me was genetic so i couldn't even blame it <laughs> yeah i mean she is the toughest and she's 21 now and she was always the toughest kid and I, we've done autism and addiction addictive babies and the whole thing right, but still right. personality wise she's genetically a hundred percent mine and so i used to tell her yeah, this stinks i can't even blame it on your birth parents because i'm your birth parent and yeah. But there are, there are, so I think what people, what I'm trying to point out is that there are different challenges with every child. Yes, yes. And it has nothing to do with genetics. Right, right. Each child is different. Each child is unique. Each child is special. And each child has its own set of challenges or issues, if you will. And these are just innate to where they came from genetically and where you live demographically and oh i i mean i can't imagine how hard it would be to see for your 10 year old daughter to see the biological siblings and mom that would be really difficult so yeah, it's a struggle for her um it's it's i, I don't i hate it for her to be honest. yeah it's really tough for her uh it's a daily thing so and the people say things to her about it too you know you're not living with a real family you know those aren't your real parents that's hard. For a child. Oh, that's hard. That is hard. Um, I, I mean, the thing is, is that still, if you're thinking about doing foster care, it's worth it. Yes, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. It's, it's by far. Absolutely. Now, there are days where I say, I cannot get through this day. How am I going to make it? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. But at the end of the day, when I fall into bed, you know, it's, it's worth it. Absolutely. Okay. Now, there's a, a lot of information online about you. Um, you, you're, you're every, I mean, if you search Dr. John DeGarmo, which I will put in all the notes and you will put in all of, you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll put all that information out there, but it's super easy to find you and find information. 
And I love that. I love that the story is so broadcasted. Um, you even got a, is it, was it NBC that gave you the Heroes Award? Uh, ABC, Good Morning America. Sorry about that. ABC Good Morning America um, gave you the Heroes Award. You guys got a trip. Was it a cruise or Disney? Disney cruise. It, well, I was right, but it was both. <laughs> what was that like for the kids? You guys didn't know anything about that. No, no idea whatsoever. You know what? Uh, I really thought they wanted to come and talk about foster parenting and our group home, Never Too Late. Uh, and they did. They spent the morning doing all that. And then in the afternoon, they pulled us outside and said, uh, guess what? You're going on a Disney cruise. And we're like, what? When? They said, next week. What? <laughs> uh, that was a, it was a, it was a tremendously exciting shock. Uh, that was great. It was exciting. My wife is a Disney fanatic. Uh, she actually has a nonprofit called A Happy Childhood, where she takes children from foster care, uh, and she takes them to Disney World for five days. And we have found, we've taken many of our own kids there from foster care. We have found that it's a unique setting and that children are able to leave behind their labels of being a foster child, their abuse, their anxieties, their traumas, their, their nightmares, if you will, and just focus on being a child in the line of imagination. And we have seen some kids who have smiled for the first time or laughed for the first time. We call it Disney therapy, a type of play therapy. So, you know, it all tied in together with this cruise. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. It's exciting. It was exciting to see just the reactions, but I thought maybe you had some idea. It was no, none. <laughs> That's none. almost better. But, and, and the kids were very excited. I've watched little video snippets of some of that and uh, as they should be, as they would be. I mean, there's, you're right. There's not a kid out there that wouldn't be astounded and excited and are you kidding and holy cow. And so uh, that was really exciting. Right. But tell me beyond that. So if there's a lot of information that I can find online and I can watch these really fantastic videos, I, you do great stuff on Facebook. You do little video snippets. You did one on your way to Greece. Um, I think you were talking about sex traffic in that on that one. Right, right. Is, is that correct? I, I, I watch a lot ahead of time, so sometimes I'm getting them mixed up. Is that what you think is the worst issue right now? What's the worst issue with these kids in foster care? You know, I think the most relevant issue is, and child sex trafficking ties into that, is online technology, social media, because these children who come into, come into our lives from foster care, uh, they have no feeling of control in their life. They don't, have, they don't have control of being taken away from their, from their biological parents late at night with no explanation. They have no control of being taken away from siblings, uh, no control of being taken away from their home and placed into a house with strangers and moved to a strange school. They have no control of any of this, but they feel the only way they have control, the only thing they have control over in their life is with their social media presence. So they go online and they create an, an online persona of what they wish their life was like. And while they're doing that, they are looking for one thing. And that is the one thing they want the most, for someone to love them. So there's sexual predators out there who are just waiting for these kids. They know are vulnerable victims and they easily snatch them up. I mean, easily snatch these kids up because these kids want to believe that somebody likes me, that somebody loves me, somebody cares about me, somebody wants me. So they fall victims very easy. And there's a whole host of other issues in regards to social media. Um, so uh, I would say online technology is the most relevant danger 
facing the kids in foster care. And of course, yeah, child sex trafficking is, is a big part of that. I know we had, I worked, I was the supervisor in a nonprofit for a couple of years. So I did all the training of the foster parents and what people, what lay people, I guess, when you, when you're embroiled in this subject, it doesn't seem odd to have conversations about it, but they are actually kind of odd conversations. And that a 16 year old girl would run away to be with her pimp because yeah. we see, okay, the public sees, this is the guy that's exploiting you, forcing you to have sex. He's also been maybe the first person that's been nice to that girl. Right. Given her a bed, given her clothes, made her feel pretty, given her makeup, gotten her hair cut. She has shampoo. There's a hot shower. So people who aren't exposed to this don't understand that that pimp, that person who we think you know, needs to just be in a firing squad, you know, line up, line them up and locked away forever is probably the first and one of the only people that's ever been nice. That's actually shown that your view of love is very skewed if you've never felt it traditionally. Right, right. And these pimps, as you say, they, they spend time grooming these children and they give them false lies and false promises and all these things to, to lure them in. But for these children who have known rape, and sexual abuse all their life that's their image of what love is so yeah you're right yeah also you know with a teenager i mean we we've both have teenagers they're curious about sexuality and wanting to know you have a child that's exposed very early to maybe something very violent um sex to a normal person feels good and so with this person grooming them and loving them they're in a less dangerous sexual experience and it doesn't always feel bad. So physically it can feel good. And that, that there are a lot of messages and images. And so for them, why is it a bad thing? Why wouldn't they want to run away and be back to that? Because it's so much better and they've never seen, they don't know what it's like to have a mom and dad and sit down at dinner and talk about your day. You're right. That's not a reality. And so I think people, you need to think about some of these issues outside of the box and from a different perspective, because it's not from a normal perspective. And then it, then you think, oh, well, I get it. I get why that teenage girl is going to run away back to that pimp that I think should be locked up forever. That's a horrible person. And um, I think if, if there are people that are going through and getting licensed and interested, you really have to take a step back from your feelings because it will make you very angry oh, and, yeah. and see it from that different perspective, correct? Right, right, right. We've had so many children come through our home who have been victims of, of rape early, early on in their life. Three, actually as, as young as one years of age, one year of age. We had one, a boy who was raped by his grandfather as early as one. And he raped his two-year-old sister and four-year-old sister. And, you know, when those kids came to us, God, it, was, it was beyond tragic, beyond horrific. Uh, and kids seven, eight, nine, ten years of age who all raped by their, by the ones who's supposed to love them and protect them the most. So yeah, that skewed uh, view they have of everything is 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 way off. And it's sad, but there's. And yet, you can make an enormous difference. You can, you can, you can. Yeah, you can certainly try. You know, I, uh, there have been some cases where I thought, you know what, it, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes understanding, it takes compassion, it takes commitment, and it takes that unconditional, consistent love that I will not give up on you, or so many others have. Right.
So tell me what's behind what I find online. And when we emailed, I said, I like to go deeper, dig deeper. And you said, oh, that will be fun. So lay some stuff on me. It can be from your wrestling days. <laughs> I'm portraying you as like a WWE person right now. <laughs> well, I used to come, I was a manager of the bad guys. So, you know, back in 20 years ago when I was doing it, it's very different now. Uh, every bad guy wrestler had a manager, so to speak. And that manager's job was to get the crowd uh, angry at the bad guy to cheer on the good guy. And, you know, I would do it by nefarious ways of cheating. You know, I, I was the professor. I was master of intellect. I had a dictionary that was hollowed out inside. I had brass knuckles or a chain or powder to throw in their eyes. And my job was to get in the microphone, insult the crowd, insult the good guy, so they'd boo the bad guy and help the bad guy to cheat when the referee wasn't looking. It was fun. My wife hated it with a passion. She hated every single second of it, but she said, go do it. Get out of your system. That was fun. Um, you know, what most people probably don't understand is this, that um, two years ago, we were uh, taped for a reality TV show program around our family. Um, so when you're talking earlier about the Disney cruise, if we were surprised, when I had this phone call, about two years ago from this, uh, these TV producers and they were asking me all these questions and I had no idea where it was going. I really didn't. I thought maybe they wanted to be an agent for my books or something. And then they said, well, what do you think about reality TV show? I said, ah, I hate it. They said, what? I said, yeah, they're garbage. I'd never watch them, never. Just so much trash. And they said, well, we want to do one in your family. I said, what? Are you kidding me? So my wife and I talked about it for a long time. We prayed about it for a long time. And we thought if we can show foster parenting in a positive light, if we can show the children in a positive light, if we can encourage even one person to help a foster child, even if they don't want to be a foster parent, but I think it can help these kids in some way, then it would be a, then it'd be a, a positive thing. But I really didn't think it was going to happen. And so the morning they showed up, the morning they were scheduled to show up, I kept thinking this was the best April Fool's practical joke ever pulled on me because I love jokes. If you ever see my, my, my speaking engagements, they're full of jokes. I just love to laugh. I love to laugh. So I thought this was the greatest one ever pulled on me. So the morning that they're supposed to show up, I said to my wife, it's seven o'clock in the morning. They're supposed to be here at eight. Maybe I'll just go get some groceries just in case they're coming. And I went to the grocery store and I came home at eight in the morning and there were TV cameras all over my driveway. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is for real. And I went to the house and I woke up my wife and said, get up, get up. They're here. She said, who? I said, the TV crew. And she said, oh, <laughs> it was just very surreal. Very surreal. So it was, that was a fun four days and they filmed us and we'll see what happens. Okay. So nothing's happened with that. Cause I did catch wind of that. They, they, they've shopped around some networks. Uh, some networks have shown interest. Um, again, we'll see what happens. What was it like being followed? Because I feel the exact same way as you do. And so if anybody ever, it, my conversation would be the same as yours. And my thought process probably. It, it wasn't, uh, it, it felt very normal to be honest with you because I had, had cameras around me during my years in wrestling. I'd always been in front of a microphone, whether it was singing or dancing or on the radio. Uh, my wife was the same way. She, she had you know, performance around the world. She'd been in radio. Uh, my kid, that was the question. How are they going to relate to this? They didn't bat an eye. They didn't bat an eye. And maybe that was because we've had so many kids come through our home. We've had so many people from all over the globe 
that my wife and I are friends with and we traveled. We've taken them to Australia. We've taken them to Europe. The house is full of Europeans and Australians all the time. So they just rolled with it and they had fun and um, they were in no way camera shy. They, everybody acted normal. Um, and then thought, yeah, this is fun. This is fun. Because I would think it would be like, you know, when people come over to visit and your kids are either on their best or their worst behavior, but it's very orchestrated. Yep, yep, yep. That wasn't, wasn't this way. They didn't plan anything. and they, uh, they just followed us around. Now, it was a bit strange for our town because we're in the small town of 2,000 people and we went to the grocery store and there's cameras following us and people would run away from us because they didn't want to be on camera. So that was just funny. Um, you know, it was, it was another adventure in our life. Okay, and so we don't know what's happening with that yet. There could be a Doctor's DeGarmo show. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, what, what else do people not know about you? Or you and your wife or your family? What's, what's some of the dirt? Where are the skeletons, Dr. John? None? The other day, why don't you move to New York City? Hmm. And you could be on TV every single day. And I said, no. I said, if we were to move... It would be to Australia uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, my wife wants to go back to Australia uh, and I want to be here. So that is, that is a, a difficult conversation that we have. Um, again, as I said earlier, there's going to be somebody who's going to be completely on the other side of the world from their, their own normal lifestyle. My wife lives in a foreign country and that foreign country is the United States of America. And that's not always an easy place to live for somebody who is from a different culture, a different country. Uh, so that's, that's a difficult uh, challenge, if you will. Um, I have a lot of grief and guilt from some of the failed adoptions. I feel I could have done something differently. I could have done something better. I could have said something different. Now, up here, I know that's not true. But in my heart, I struggle with that a lot. And there are some, some of the children who, I said earlier, that drive me every single day. I am absolutely driven. I wake up in the morning thinking, okay, what am I going to do today? There's a child out there right now who needs me to change this system for him. Um, so most people don't know about the uh, the the guilt and the grief that drives me every day. Yeah, you know, I, I, am a, I am an emotional cripple since I became a foster parent. Um, you can't take me to any movie with the name Nicholas Sparks attached to it because I will be the loudest crier in that movie. That is awesome. That's awesome. I mean, you shared with me a little bit about when you guys lost your first child, how you and your wife dealt with it differently. I don't think I would have, that would have occurred to me. Um, yeah, I was angry. Yeah. yeah. And I completely understand it, but I wouldn't have expected it. And it's the same as someone who's done foster care, that grief, that what if that, I mean, I can personally relate to that, but I, I get it. So are there any plans to move to Australia? Well, that's not a conversation we ever have. <laughs> I mean, it's a no win conversation. Right. Um, well, I mean, work wise, how would, how would you even navigate it? No, no. Um, uh, you know, my, my, I keep reminding my wife, you're six hours from Disney world where you live right now, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, who knows what tomorrow's going to bring, uh, you know, we shall see where we end up. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. We have, there are some things that we have planned that don't involve Australia, but that do involve other parts of America. We're just going to wait and see if they come to fruition. And uh, you'll be the first to know because I'll post it all online when it happens. Um, you know, I just, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, and that's part of the excitement. Now, I must say this, I, I never, ever, ever planned on being a foster parent. It was never in my radar. I never planned on getting my doctorate or writing a book, let alone, how many have written? 17, you've written 17 books. <laughs> I never planned on adopting any children. I didn't want to adopt any kids. I felt three's enough. Because um, now I'm so far above the Brady Bunch level and my wife and I still don't have that Alice that helps the Bradys. We don't. Um, so I don't say no or never anymore because I'm just going to wait and see what tomorrow brings. And, and that can be frustrating and scary sometimes, you know, thinking, okay, what's, what's the plan? What's going to happen here? Um, but it is all around helping children and families in need. I love it. I love it. And you're right. You don't know. I was hoping you had a magic answer for me. Oh my gosh, no. I wish I did. I wish I did. I need I, I don't need the burning bush. I just need a glowing ember is all I need. Oh, there's a, there's a sign. I don't know where Alice is either. I thought they came with the foster kids or doesn't she come with the house you buy or where is she? I don't understand that. Right, right. We haven't found her either. You know, my wife and I go to work every day just to rest because when you got all these kids in your house, whew, it can be exhausting. Yeah. It can be. Dr. John, thank you for being on and letting me pick your brain and and uh, get under your skin a little bit and find out everything. If you're interested in foster care, get in touch with either one of us. We can at least direct you in the right direction. Dr. John DeGarmo can be found everywhere. We have that uh, in notes uh, and all the information. He's very easy to find, very receptive to you asking questions and doing an amazing amount, tremendous amount of work. And I thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.